Welcome to Because We Make, the podcast about making creativity and why we do what we do as makers and creatives. I'm your host, Vincent Ferrari. Now today, I have a very special guest. And that very special guest, with the exception of my father, is the person who inspired me the most to get into woodworking. And in fact, it was his course that really just kind of opened up the floodgates and turned me into, well, I consider myself a woodworker. I think everyone that's a woodworker will tell you either they are, they aren't, whatever. I consider myself a woodworker and I feel like I have this guy to thank. So welcome, Steve Ramsey. Hi, Steve. Hey, Vincent. Wow, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little honored and humbled right now for you to say all of that. It was, it was really nice of you. That's really kind of my goal with everything I do is to just kind of inspire people to actually just pick up some tools and start working. Yeah, I, you know, was, so um, for those of you that don't know, I actually took Steve's course, the first course he offered, the Weekend Woodworker course. And the reason I took it was because my dad, you know, I've told the story before, but my dad was a carpenter and I, oh, I never really picked up that interest in woodworking. It didn't really sink in. I was the computer kid and I wasn't into woodworking. That was what my dad did. And when my dad died in 2013, it kind of, the bug was starting to form like, hey, that's a skill you should probably learn because your dad's not around to build stuff for you anymore. And then like out of nowhere, Steve started offering this course and I took it and man, did I get a lot out of that course. I am so glad to hear that. Oh man, your approach, your approach to woodworking is so different from the typical, you know, what you call the shop full of tools. You know, I love, I love that one of your first introductions that you give people is your, your tool, how to build a shop for under a thousand dollars. Right. And I think that that's something that everyone could really use because woodworking feels very expensive and difficult and almost exclusive even. And Mm -hmm. you go a long way toward bringing it down to earth for people. Um, was that always your mission or was it more of, I want to start out, I'm going to put some cool projects on the internet and then it evolved into this. It evolved into that pretty quickly. When I first started posting videos on YouTube back in 2008, it was just more on a lark. I actually had my YouTube channel set up for a while. I was posting some family videos and I had a lot of roller coaster videos. We, my son and I were <laughs> roller coaster enthusiasts and we would travel all over the, the country or not so much the country, but at least California. We rode every single roller coaster. There was all of those. And then one day I decided, hey, I'm going to build this, this chess board and I think it's going to be a really cool project. Um, maybe I should just shoot a video and, and see um, what happens. It was mainly kind of just so I could document what I was doing so I would remember you know, what it was. And then I could send it to some friends and family. And at that time, YouTube had a 10 minute time limit on videos. So I had to shoot (laughs) this video with seven long, boring parts that, but that was basically what I was doing. And I, I was using tools that were very affordable. They were power tools, but they were certainly kind of, I guess you would call them low end equipment. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I posted that video, I started getting feedback from it from people who were saying the kind of things that you were just saying that they they couldn't believe that, you know, I was doing this out of my garage and I could make a kind of a cool project. And I I really hadn't thought about it that way. Mm. I thought, well, I'm just using what I have and, you know, making it work. I never had any aspirations of buying a $3,000 table saw or anything, anything (laughs) even, even close to that. So it was, it was very soon after that, probably 
within a year or so, it was probably about a year, year and a half later, where I uh, started calling it Woodworking for Mere Mortals. And the reason why that cropped up was because I wanted to differentiate what I was doing. I wanted to make it very clear that this was not the woodworking shows that had been typically on TV, on the, you know, HGTV and, and these kind of high-end shows where they show guys in a half hour building these, you know, beautiful armoires with thousands <laughs> and thousands of dollars worth of tools. And I, I wanted it to just be something that to show people, hey, everybody can do this stuff using basic, you know, a basic component of power tools. And of course, over the years, that's evolved. We're now in the past couple of years, I've honed that message down even tighter to where I'm really focused on getting beginning woodworkers up and running, removing a lot of that fear and intimidation that comes with making things, at least what we often see on YouTube videos where there are a lot of people who have huge shops and lots of tools and are, are making incredible things. But with that comes a little bit of intimidation to someone who actually wants to get their hands dirty and make things rather than just watch some videos. So that kind of, in a nutshell, is is where I am today. We start, we've talked on this podcast, um, I've talked with a couple of different guests, and in in a lot of ways, the the woodworking community, you know, YouTube and otherwise, is a lot like the photography community. Mm -hmm. It's it's very it's very gear heavy. It's very, you know, almost like an arms race. <laughs> I hate to say yeah. I hate to say it that way, but you know, like oh, you you I almost can feel the derision when people are like oh, that's cute. You have Ryobi tools. That's, oh, that's it's, so it's, that's it's so horrible. nice. This whole, uh, you know, tribal mentality of brands and it's, it's like that in a lot of different ways. Guys yeah. used, used to be this way with, with trucks. If you had a truck, it, was, it still is. <laughs> it was all about what, <laughs> what brand of truck that is or what make it was. And it, it really doesn't matter. And with tools, you especially see that. And so that is definitely uh, one of my key messages is don't get caught up in this whole brand name tool buying frenzy. And I, I kind of, I started a term called maker flexing, uh, <laughs> not, not too bad, not too long ago. And because I see this a lot and it's, you see it a lot on Instagram where, yes. where guys, uh, every tool they have is, is associated with an at or a hashtag and, and it has, and so they're, they're constantly drumming these tool companies and, and they're, you know, promoting the tools obviously in exchange for the tool itself. But there's like this whole culture of, I've got this table saw that is much better than the table saw you're using and then showing off this enormous warehouse sized <laughs> workshop just <laughs> filled with tools. And I, and I also want to make it clear that it doesn't, it's okay. I understand that. Mm -hmm. And those are fun videos to watch. I watch them myself too. And I like to watch guys build really cool projects. But what I'm doing is I'm trying to aim towards an audience of people who want to build things without having to put up that whole investment, just so that they know that there is a resource beyond beyond that kind of woodworking. Right. My, it's funny because my my shop, as I call it, um, started out literally as the corner of my basement, and the first tool I, the only tool I had in it was a miter saw, 
And the first, by the way, the first video of yours that I watched was your miter saw safety video. <laughs> and it was because I didn't know how to use it. I literally, right. I bought it because it was like 70 bucks, but I had no idea how to use it. And I watched your video and it gave me the confidence at least to go downstairs and try to cut something with it. So that was like my first foray in. And so my shop was basically a workbench and a miter saw. And little by little, more tools started showing up. And it was like, at one point, my wife, who is an absolute saint, said, you know what? You have, you're going to grow. This is going to grow. You don't have enough room. Why don't we rearrange the basement, take over half the basement, and that can be your shop. And I'm like, boom. <laughs> and that was, yeah. all hell broke loose at that point. And the, the first real workbench I had is the BMW. Wow, that's great. Which is, yeah, and I still even, you know, it's funny because we were talking about the shop this weekend and she said, you just, you basically don't use your other workbench, the one I bought. I was like, no, <laughs> I pretty much use the BMW for everything. That thing is beat to hell. It's got paint all over it. The top has got holes as drilled it, in it. As it should be. Exactly. Yeah. It's well used. <laughs> it's well loved. It's well used. And I, when I put it together, I took your advice and I screwed the top on. I didn't glue it down. So you know what? In a couple of weeks, I plan on unscrewing it, flipping it over, and screwing it back on. Guess what? I'm going to get another two years out of it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but, that's a good little workbench. Oh yeah, and we were just talking. It's funny you talk. You know, you talk about the giants, the giant saws, right? Mm -hmm. My wife would be totally okay if I right now went and bought a new table saw. She really doesn't tell me I can and can't buy tools. I don't have the usual spousal friction. I'm very lucky that way. But I just don't have a place to put it. And if I had listened to all these, you know, all the YouTubers, it would have been like, oh, yeah, I can't do woodworking because I can only have this small contractor size saw. Right. You know? I mean, I do uh, believe me. There are times where that little bit of space in front of the blade has become a real issue for me. And in yeah. fact, it, just today I had to trim off the ends, the ends of a cutting board that I'm working on as a gift. And it's like, wow, it is really tricky to put a 13-inch cutting board when you have like nine inches of space in front of the blade. You get creative. You do. And you, you, <laughs> you learn to be really, really careful. And you yeah. learn a lot about geometry. And, oh, if I just push it up against the fence with what's there, it'll hold it steady enough until it's into the blade. And then I should be okay. But, yeah, it's it's really it's, funny. It's interesting that you said that you uh, started out with that miter saw because I, I think that's a, a common entry point. It's kind of the the, the woodworking gateway drug of, mm -hmm. of sorts, and because there's a lot you can do Tons. with just a miter saw, and that's why in my weekend woodworker course, the first project is made just with actually the first couple first, projects, first couple, yeah, yeah, are made just with a miter saw because I think it's just so important to show that okay, this is something you can do with just this single saw that'll take care of a lot of your cutting needs that you will ever do. Obviously, you know, it doesn't take long before you're gonna realize a table saw will be really nice and you would like to rip boards and, and sure. make other other types of cuts. But yeah. uh, it's, it is amazing what you the, can do with just that simple saw. Yeah, the amount of, I mean, even up until I took your course, the amount of things that I did with that miter saw blew my mind. I was like, I don't even know if I need a table saw. You know, yeah. I'm glad I took your course because it made me get one and I use it a lot. But yeah, it's, 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 and it's also a cheap tool. I mm. mean, like I said, my first one was a 10 inch Hitachi and it cost me literally $70. And it was a great $70 because I got a lot of use out of it. In fact, up until, what was it, last December, not the, you know, mm -hmm. December of 2017, I had that miter saw that was my miter saw i took your course with that miter saw you know yeah that's i mean that's the way i've i've actually been 
I don't know, in the last couple of years, I've been downsizing my tools and, and my shop and kind of boiling it down to what I really need. I mean, I've been at this for a long, long time. I've been making things and a miter saw was one of those things that I, I downgraded. I just went to a 10 inch little Ryobi saw mm-hmm. and, or uh, yeah, 10 inch Ryobi saw. And uh, I had a, the big 12 inch Porter cable saw and, and the thing was just so heavy and, and bulky. And when I just wanted to move it around, it was just kind of just a pain. And I just thought, you know, I don't really need this much of a miter saw. I can certainly do bigger cuts on my table saw if I need it. Mm-hmm. But really, I, I had to ask myself, what am I using the miter saw for? And, you know, most of those are going to be cuts on shorter width boards and quick cuts and things that um, it's more to me, that's more of kind of a down and dirty tool. And it's really yep. handy for that. And I don't really need all of that extra thing. So uh, lately, I don't know, it's just I've been kind of in this kind of minimalist <laughs> attitude in the past couple of years. I really am trying to trying to find out what it is about woodworking that brings me the most joy and boil it down to the tools that help me reach those goals and getting rid of things that I just are just taking up space because I don't use them. I don't like it when tools are collecting dust dust not sawdust (laughs) you know (laughs) they just sit around that's funny because that's i'm kind of the same way with my shop in fact right now in my shop i have a 10 inch bandsaw and right before right before i started chemo and radiation back in december i said you know i'm gonna need these to be mobile because i don't know what's gonna happen and I took that 10-inch bandsaw and I made myself a cart. And then I have the, the rigid oscillating sander and I made a cart for that. So, and then my planer, I made a cart for that. And now I'm looking around the stuff and I'm like, I really don't need anything else at this point. Like, yeah. I don't need to, I would like to have a 14, there's a lot of like to haves with me. I'd like yeah. to have a 14-inch bandsaw. Do I realistically need one? No, because most <laughs> of the stuff I'm doing right now particularly since a lot of the wood stuff is small pieces and what's not woodworking tends to be me making jewelry now. Mm-hmm. And I don't need a 14-inch bandsaw. I mean, if I hit a project where it's like, you need to get this to finish this project, I could go out and buy it and I have a little bit of space that I can probably cram it into. But yeah, it's funny how you almost become, when, when you start making and particularly woodworking, you almost become a tool collector more than a tool user. <laughs> Right. It's one of the funny things is I get people ask me one of the most common types of question I get asked is, is this particular tool a good one? Is this, (laughs) and I'm like, I just do not know. I'm not a tool guy. My, you know, I've I've had some of my tools I've been using for over 20 years. I just don't know what are good tools or not. I just know when I'm using it, if it works and it gets the job done, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty happy with that. But you have a really good attitude there about trying to buy the tool based on need rather than shiny glossy photos and oh, yeah. <laughs> things that I'm, you see that they really make it tempting a lot of these tools they look really cool and i i oh i've fallen for that myself where i look at those and i think oh man that would be so much <laughs> but then i have to take a step back and think okay, what are my goals what am i going to do with this and if if you're in it to at least try to earn a little bit of income that's an important consideration is, is oh, this yeah. thing going to actually make more money for me? I, I just had that. I, I, so I have um, a client who wants closing gifts. She's a real, a realtor 
and she wanted closing gifts for her clients. And I'm like, okay. So I start planning out all the things I can make. And I'm like, okay, a lot of this I can batch out a lot easier if I had a CNC. So I start pricing out the CNC and I was ready to pull the trigger. And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to wait because if she doesn't come through on this, this CNC is very expensive and it's going to be a lot harder to pay for it. So I just waited. And it turns out that the project she wanted, the stuff she wanted for her clients was not in the price range that would afford me the ability to pay for that CNC right off the bat. Right. So for at least for now, I don't have the CNC. Mm-hmm. And I'm fine with that because I don't need it right now. You know, then that's and I it's really tempting when you see your favorite YouTuber or your favorite woodworker or you watch, you know, the HGTV shows or all Mm -hmm. these. It's very tempting to just run out and go, oh, I need a I need a domino when you can go to Home (laughs) Depot and you can get a Ryobi biscuit joiner for under one hundred dollars. And it literally is the same. I'm sorry, guys, if you love your Fest Tool tools, that's fine. Enjoy it. I'm not telling you not to buy them. But for the average person, for the few times they're going to use it, like the weekend warrior types, a biscuit joiner is fine. And you can even get the ones from Harbor Freight. My dad's was from Harbor. I have his biscuit joiner. And for the few times I use it, it's an old one from Harbor Freight. It works perfectly. You know, and it's it's hard to tell people it's not wood tools in general are not necessarily you spend more and you get more out of it. I mean, you can only do so much with a saw. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that's so true. And I have tools that are, are practically ancient. I have a, a lathe and a scroll saw that my dad bought in 1948 and <sighs> they still work because it really most tools when it, when it comes down to it, it's just a motor that spins something and they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're in technology hasn't really changed that aspect of no. of a saw or router or anything else. And, you know, there's there's upgrades and things that are more, I don't know, make it a little bit more efficient now. But it, at its basic level, tools really haven't changed a whole lot. And I always like to point out that whenever I'm talking about tools and trying to make recommendations for what you might need when you're setting up a shop is to really make a distinction between the hobbyist, which is the people who I am um, targeting with my weekend woodworker courses and my entire Woodworking for Mere Mortals channel is based on hobbyist woodworking. And I always like to make the distinction that, okay, I'll say all this, but if you're a professional cabinet maker, (laughs) you're going to want some really nice high-end equipment because there it comes down to how much faster and how much more efficient you're going to be able to build things and turn that into money. Whereas if you're working in your garage on a Sunday afternoon, you're probably not in a huge hurry or a deadline to, you know, get that birdhouse completed. Right. No, a hundred percent. That's actually why I got my Glowforge, right? Because there were certain projects where it was like, God, if I had a laser, I could batch these out so fast. And those things are just money in the bank right yeah, there. They, you can they're just literally it, things out. It, it's a license to print money. I've told people this. I'm I'm I am shameless about it. <laughs> I make I bought this thing to make money with it. You know, if if it does some cool stuff, that's great. But I bought it to make money. I bought it so, to yeah, add an I, aspect to my business. And I came to that realization. I live in, uh, in San Francisco Bay Area. And in San Francisco, a couple of years ago, I ran across in one of the touristy areas there. There was a, a stand where a guy was selling these laser cut. They're basically about the size of a, a keychain, maybe a little bit smaller than a playing card with like engravings, laser cut engravings of, of you know, say the uh, Golden Gate Bridge or, or whatever like mm-hmm. that. 
And as soon as I saw that and saw that he was charging $20 a piece for this oh, yeah. little piece of wood, I thought, holy moly, the, the profit margin on that is incredible. Yeah, I mean, and it enabled me to really get my jewelry business going because a lot of the stuff, you know, there was a lot of designs that I came up with. And I'm like, these would look really cool. Like one of my most popular things in my store, I have these tri-heart necklaces that are made out of eighth inch walnut. And they're a huge seller. People love them and they look beautiful when they're done. But I mean, I know what I charge for them. I probably charge a little too little for them. But I also know what I pay to make them. And they cost me next to nothing to make. I promise you that even at the low price I'm selling them at, I'm making money on them. And that's a calculation that I made, but I'm only making it because most of my woodworking is for my personal business now. It's not, right. there is personal stuff. I make stuff because I enjoy making stuff too. I have stuff all over the house that I've made. But the real thing that I want to do is I want to grow my business. And stuff like buying a laser cutter made sense, whereas buying that CNC didn't or upgrading my table saw would not make me money because realistically, anything I need to do with a table saw, I've not hit anything that this one can't do yet. Right. And you're, it, with that, with the laser cutter, then you're, you're drastic. If CNC is going to require an assembly of some sort, you're, you're going to use it and cut pieces that have to be assembled. Mm -hmm. And that's just more time yep. that that's going to take. Yep. Um, so I think you're on the, I think you're on the right track there. Anything you can, you can make with that, that you can batch out, crank out and have that huge part profit margin. And this is why sure. custom furniture is just really so expensive and, and mm -hmm. people will, will balk at a price when they see, you know, if you want to get a custom, say a dresser made for, for your bedroom, you know, you, you could spend upwards of 10 grand or more on something like that because just the amount of time that goes into that. I mean, the time oh, totally. is really going to be so much more than any of the materials that, that go into that. And so we've, we live in a, a age of, you know, we want to go and get this knockdown furniture at Ikea. I mm -hmm. do the same thing because it's cheap and it looks pretty good, but mm -hmm. it also kind of conditions us to think that maybe that's what furniture is supposed to, it's supposed to only cost a couple hundred dollars for, mm -hmm. for a coffee table or something. Exactly. And, eh, well, <laughs> well, everything definitely... is so, everything is so commoditized now. Like, so one of, you know, I've made, I made a custom cutting board for someone um, a couple of months ago. I made her, she wanted a polar bear cutting board. I'm like, okay, I can, I can do that. So I made it out of maple and whatever. And, you know, I know a decent cutting board. You know, you go to the store, you can buy a cheapo cutting board for 30 bucks. And it really makes me almost gun shy when somebody says, hey, can you make me a custom cutting board? And I'm yeah. like, yeah, that's going to be like $150. Are you okay with that? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, good. Okay, so you know what a cutting board's worth. That's good. That's good. That yeah. is good. It's one of the things I discovered after woodworking for a lot of many, many years that I've been woodworking. And when people find out you're a woodworker, <laughs> they, often have, they often suddenly have like a, a list of things that they, mm -hmm. they want you to do. And I actually had a neighbor one time... Uh, maybe five or six years ago, it's talking about, oh, so you're doing woodworking. And it's pretty obvious when neighbors walk by because <laughs> they can see the, my garage door open and a bunch of tools in here. And she was asking me, you know, if, if I would be able to <laughs> build and install all of their kitchen cabinets. Oh, you know? Jesus. And she was asking, and I'm like, no, I don't think so. It's Not quite just, what I do. <laughs> no, I mean, just the amount of, and I'm sure she was hoping that, you know, that I get a 
great cut rate deal on some mm. guy working out of his garage, but oh yeah, there's just there's no way I could do stuff like that. And I've had, you know, other requests for things. So now I I just strictly like to build things as gifts for people. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, of course, when people ask me what I do for a living, I never mention woodworking. I tell them I make videos. <laughs> I, I make videos really... on YouTube about what? Nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it's all about. It's the second question stuff. is, all, the, second, the first question, what do you do? I call it the, the dentist office question because this is a question. I don't know why I call it that. It's just for some reason I am, I associate going to the dentist and they'd like to make this small talk and they're like, well, what do you do for a living? Or they'll see it on the on the form you fill out. And I'm like, oh, I video production. And then of course that follows up with, well, how do you do that? Oh, YouTube. Oh, and then the next question is always, you can make money doing that? <laughs> <laughs> You'd be surprised. Yep, everybody, it's like the question everybody asks. And I get, yeah, I guess it's a little bit difficult now on YouTube, but with other ways of monetization, you can certainly make a go of it. So you've been doing, you've been, as we release this episode, you'll have just, you'll have just aired your 10 year anniversary stream. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I mean, Steve, seriously, that is an incredible accomplishment. 10 years on YouTube is an yeah. incredible amount of longevity. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. The whole platform has, has changed so much over the years and it's, um, you know, it's a whole different landscape now. And so I had, yeah, I hit the 10 year mark back in August. And yeah, this, this weekend, I'm not sure when this podcast is going to air, but this weekend I'm, I'm just <laughs> streaming all 10 years. It, I counted it up. It's like 53 hours of content that I'm just going to be streaming straight through. That's and so I just great. thought it would be, I, I thought it would be kind of fun. You know, people can just kind of pop in whenever and say, oh yeah, I remember that. Or I've never seen that. Or, oh my God, look at his hair in that video or whatever. And, um, but wow, have things changed so much since <laughs> then? Now, so many people, not so many people get into YouTube, at least in any kind of DIY space, just because they're just on a lark and want to post a couple of videos. Everybody seems to have like an entire mission statement and team behind them oh, and planning yeah. committees. And it's a huge thing right now. And people, you know, there, a lot of people will become very popular on YouTube, but not that many compared to all the people who try. And one, a common question is, well, how do you get your channel up to, you know, even a hundred thousand subscribers? And I always kind of tell them, well, you know, it really helps if you could start like 10 years ago, because <laughs> right now there's, <laughs> right now there is just so many people in the maker and the woodworking space. There are literally thousands of, of people doing these kind of videos. And so as, as the, it used to be, you could be more of a generalist, I think. And I think that most makers and woodworkers now if they want to get into youtube start out that way kind of like doing a little of this a little of that mm -hmm. dabbling and especially in the in the maker uh, the maker community is like i want to do some concrete work i want to do, everybody's doing resin now and resin yeah. river tables and all, all this stuff <laughs> and so and, and so you're doing all this stuff but as youtube is aging you, you're really better off to not only focus in on one thing, but you be that guy who is really focused on that one thing because uh, it was enough for me to be a woodworker at first. Then I wanted to be the, 
the woodworker with without a, a lot of expensive tools then i wanted to be the woodworker just for beginning woodworkers or especially focused in on beginning woodworkers so it just narrows down to now when people go to my channel they'll know right away what my focus is without a second question so i'm, I'm just not another guy building something hey look what i can do and it's more about here's what you can gain out of watching these videos. Well, it's so what that's interesting that you say that because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, which I found, I'm not going to lie, I found it a little bit sad, but I got it. I understood what you were doing um, was when you kind of stopped doing project videos. Right. That's kind of a and, you know, I still do the project videos but definitely they're fewer and far between now and i'm saving most of those for my online courses and mm -hmm. I, i'm sure you probably i've talked about this before you probably already know the reason why i've done this and especially after this year at the beginning of this year i, I changed a lot in my kind of business model and how i'm approaching youtube and i stopped for one thing i stopped doing brand sponsorships and that helped out a lot to increase the traffic on the channel. Because as soon as you start doing brand sponsorships and putting those spots in your videos, people skip them. And when people skip parts of your video, mm. that tells YouTube that they're not interested in watching your entire video. And right now, YouTube is really into this viewer retention. They want to, viewers to sit right from the very beginning to yep. the very end of your video. And these sponsorships were just killing my... My channel so i stopped doing those and then the other thing i started doing was more kind of talking about techniques and these sort of things rather than just making projects and the, the problem i was experiencing was that the project videos were doing worse than video of me standing there talking about a table saw or, or oh, really? whatever and so the problem oh. was I was getting fewer views on project videos, but the end, and you can, you can tell all this stuff in the, when you make YouTube videos, they have this thing called analytics and you can mm -hmm. tell everything, how much, how long people are watching, who's watching. And it's, it's really detailed. And what was happening is I was getting fewer views on those project videos, but the people who were watching them were a lot more engaged and they were watching the entire video and ah. that the com the comments were more engaging and they were genuinely from people who wanted to actually learn how to make this project. Oh. And so the problem that I was having there was, okay, so I want to reach, these are the people I want to reach, but how can I do this? Because I can't make a video, a 10 minute video showing how to make a project in any kind of depth. And if I go into really step-by-step -step video of how to make something, then YouTube's not going to like that because not a lot of people are going to want to watch it. Right, right. So that's and that's really why I started the Weekend Woodworker courses was to to reach that audience of highly motivated people who actually wanted to learn how to make these projects in a very step by step manner. But I'm yeah. I'm still making you know project videos, but they're definitely a lot fewer. And it's also we've we've kind of reached the point of saturation on YouTube in a lot of ways. There's yeah. you know, I mean if you want to make a coffee table, what could I do on it that is going to be any different than anybody else? Or if I wanted to make uh, you know another table saw sled, there's a lot of these things on YouTube. So 
the only thing you can do is you have to bring something new to the table that people are going to be interested in and want to build that project. But for most people, they're not really watching videos to build those projects. They're watching just because they like to watch you yeah. make stuff. And I, I'm the same way. I like to just watch a guy <laughs> going, oh my God, he's building something out of steel. I can never do that. But I don't even, I'm not even interested in building something out of steel, but it's kind of fun to watch him do oh, that. Oh yeah, totally. Kind of, There's a lot of guys. Cool. There's a lot of people that, you know, I watch now and my wife and I always talk about this. Um, I'm not watching to learn how to do the thing you're doing. I, I right. almost, I almost, in fact, I can pretty much say I never build the things I watch people build, but oh, I no. love watching the technique. I like learning the techniques. And one of the things that I liked about your, the weekend woodworker was that the videos for that course felt like Steve Ramsey, YouTube videos, just in extended form. Right. And if you're, you know, if you're, a, if I'm a fan of yours and I get into that course, it's not jarring in any way. It's just, it's, it's the videos. It's what I know and love. And it's the familiar face telling me how to do this stuff. But yeah, I don't really, I think a lot of people, especially if you watch a lot of maker related content, I can't imagine a lot of people just going out to the garage and going, okay, Jimmy Duresta made this today. That's what I'm working on. You know, I, right, exactly. I don't, I just don't see that happening, but you know, I've taken, I did, I've done a couple of projects. In fact, I just did one recently for a client where I literally took things I learned from four different people to make one project. And it's right. that, you know, consolidating all that knowledge, that's where, that's where it's key. So you'd, you now kind of focusing more on educational content. Yeah, and again, that just kind of gets back to that whole point that I was making about being hyper-focused on one particular thing works a lot better on YouTube these days. And so now, it, for me, it wasn't enough to just show what I'm making but I really want to do educational content, which is kind of what I started out doing anyways 10 years ago. And it's really refreshing to actually get back to doing that and to actually showing people and to hear people like you who's like kind of blown away, like, oh, I never knew I could do something like this. <laughs> I cannot believe how many people I've heard from who literally had never, you know, held a screwdriver or pounded a nail, not that we pound a lot of nails in my course, but <laughs> they'd never held any tools. They never did yeah. anything. And then, so, you know, that was kind of my goal with the the courses is, is I had a, a meeting with my team when we started all this and I'm like, okay, we got to, I want to do these courses, but I don't want people to think like this is, this isn't Steve anymore. This is, and so it was, I'm glad you, you picked up on that because that oh, was a 100%. real point, a real point of discussion was, uh, some of the team wanted to bring in some uh, some video crew to shoot, nope. and we actually experimented with a, a video editor. Nah. And I was just like, you know, this, it just it's doesn't gotta feel be your right. Your voice, and, man. It's people are there for, you know, you're one of those people. I mean, I talk to a lot of makers. I have a lot of maker friends, and when I ask them who got them going or who they watch, they almost universally mention you. You are. I mean, I'm not going to blow sunshine off your butt because we I could do that for like an hour and we could stop the podcast <laughs> now and I could just tell you how great you are, right? But seriously, everyone that's a maker, you're like one of the, the godfathers of woodworking. Right. Everybody, know, everybody knows you. Everybody watches your stuff. Everybody respects what you've done for making on YouTube. You are, you're pretty much, as far as I know, universally beloved. And yeah. it would be really hard for you to put out content that isn't in your voice because it would be so obvious. Like even oh, if it yeah. was your course where people are paying to be in it, 
it would be really obvious to someone if it didn't feel like genuine Steve Ramsey. So I'm kind of glad. Well, a lot of that just comes with just so many years of doing YouTube videos and you really kind of develop a sense of what people will respond to and what people don't respond to and, and definitely finding that voice. I mean, it took me a while to find sort of my YouTube voice Mm -hmm. and I don't like watching any of my early videos. I don't like any watching my videos from (laughs) last week, you know, but it's, (laughs) it's just, you kind of, you kind of get past that and you, um, learn a lot about your audience that way. And as long as you understand your audience, and this is, this, there's nothing, you know, groundbreaking about this because every <laughs> every business needs to know its audience, right. really. And if you're in YouTube as a business, you really have to especially be aware of what they're responding to. You have one of the coolest things that came out of, for me, out of the Weekend Woodworker course was the Weekend Woodworkers alumni group on Facebook. Oh, right, right. And I have to say that I have made some amazing friends in that group. And I I don't know how much you check in. I know you're a member, but I don't know how much you check in with that group. But I think you would be so gratified to see how far, because we were the first cohort. We were the first group. And when you said you were shutting down the group to allow the next group in, we were like, no, we're still friends. What do we do? So they, we started the other group and we've stayed friends. And we're I all think that's fantastic. Yeah, that we made fantastic. like 100 close friends now. I think that is so, so amazing. And, I, I love to hear stories like that. Cause it, and it, it's one of the things that it's, it's hard for me to keep up with mm-hmm. every, everything. And um, so, yeah, I love hearing stories like that. And, mm-hmm. Watching the progression of people in the course, you know, we've progressed together. So we're now, what, two years removed from the course yeah. at this point? And just going through, watching, like, you see people post stuff and you go, Jesus Christ, are you kidding? You were a, ro- we started this together. And look at, <laughs> look at what we're accomplishing. You know, some of the people in the group are making furniture that's just like professional grade. And, you know, some people like me have turned it into a business, where, so you know, it's not cool. my primary business, but it's a pretty nice side hustle that's working out really well for me. And I'm very happy with it. You know, it's, it's that's, unbelievable. That's, really the, that's kind of the neat thing about woodworking, though, is that it, it, the basic principles of woodworking are really simple to learn. There's mm-hmm. not a lot of different ways to cut wood, you know. <laughs> you kind of figure out how those do it. And then it's just about adding your flair. And once you kind of understand how things are assembled, you could pretty much build whatever you want as long as you have patience and time and you're willing to understand that a big project is just a small project with more steps. You know, mm-hmm. it's just it just to, to build a simple box is easy. But if you can just expand on that and start building more and more parts to that, then suddenly that that box is, you know, is, is a chest of drawers because it's right. really the same thing. It's funny because I didn't, and I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this, but I didn't finish your course. Yeah, um, well, I, didn't the get the, I didn't get the last project done because it just, but the, I didn't get it done for a good reason. Hmm. I didn't get it done because I started getting people asking me to make stuff for them. And <laughs> my amazing. shop time, my shop time is almost exclusively for client work. And that happened out of nowhere. And it was like, I can't believe this. I, I'm not even done with the course yet. And I'm already getting people asking me to make them stuff. It's like... Right. It's it's almost magical. It's like you said before, when people find out you're a woodworker, it's like it's like when you, they find out you're a lawyer and they start asking for legal <laughs> yeah, advice. they're all going to ask for legal <laughs> advice, sure. You know, it's like that's what happens when you're a woodworker. It's like, <laughs> hey, you know, um, 
In fact, a friend of mine literally just asked me yesterday, she goes, you know those things that you put over the stove? You know, I would really like one of those. I was like, yeah, I can make you one of those. And she goes, but (laughs) I would really like it butcher block so that I can prep on it. I'm like, okay, now you're getting a little more expensive. And if you're okay with that, I can do it for you. She's like, oh yeah, I don't care. This is going to be like, I need this to look really good in my kitchen so that I can leave it out all the time. And I'm like, wow, out of nowhere, just... (laughs) Nice. It's I love it. I I love so much that you know I can make gifts for people that they look at it and go, "Where did you get this?" And I can just say, "No, I made that." Right. Did you sell? Did you did you sell? uh, Were you selling last Christmas? I was kind of not, which was really bad. Yeah. Um, Now now is the time to start really thinking about those things because man, oh man, there's some huge profit margins on on Christmas, especially ornaments. Oh my God, you can make tiny real delicate ornaments that are so they because people want to keep them it becomes an heirloom kind of thing you know people put them out every year and and oh wow you can sell those for a lot of money i'm finding i'm finding that so when i was in high school i had a, a jewelry teacher um my last my senior year it was i needed to get an elective to fill out my schedule and I took jewelry just because it was the only class that really like fit into the schedule. I was like, I'll just take jewelry. I was like one of three guys in the class. It was all women. And I had the greatest teacher ever. And I always said that I would come back to jewelry. Some, at some point, I would come back to jewelry. And I would say a couple of months ago, I just whipped up something real quick. And somebody's like, I want a pair of those. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I want a pair of those. I'm like, oh wow, maybe I need to add jewelry to my list of stuff that I make. And the next thing I know, I mean, that's like I said before, that is the thing that's selling on my my online store the most right. is my jewelry. And this weekend, I didn't make any jewelry. It was huh. all custom woodworking stuff. And I'm like, wow, I realize that I'm starting to become more and more diversified as time goes on. You know taking all the skills I've learned from here and learned from there and putting them all together. And now it's like, yeah, I can put them all together and make a whole bunch of different things. Yeah. And you're starting to figure out how, what kind of things work well mm-hmm. for selling. I I was at a, a shop down in Santa Cruz a couple months ago. And it's this kind of a, it was an artsy shop, I guess, where they sell all kinds of handmade stuff. And there was a guy selling, uh, jewelry and really what they were is just exotic little pieces of wood shaped in you know triangles or diamonds or Mm -hmm. whatever very tiny made into earrings and so a set of earrings of say uh purple heart Mm. and just little things the 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 amount of wood in that is like five cents i mean (laughs) in there and you could you could literally make cut out that wood in in you know under two minutes probably but he was he was selling this set of earrings for sixty dollars and i thought this is amazing it's all about how you're selling it like this is this rare wood that people don't know about and it's a oh when people see purple heart for the first time it's like (laughs) (laughs) and it is it's unbelievable and you know the first time i had seen it in videos and then i went to woodcraft to pick up you know pick up a couple of things and right by the register they have you know they have that little cubby of exotic wood and there was a piece of purple heart and i bought it i had no idea what the hell i was going to do with it but i knew 
that that wood is beautiful and I needed to have it. <laughs> yeah, the funny thing about it is it just, it turns to this brown color after a while. It yeah. doesn't even stay purple. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's funny because it, it's purple. So what you do, so if you want to sell anything, and guys, if you're listening, this is advice for you. If you want to sell anything purple hard, put it in the sun for a little bit. Make sure you flip it because the UV is what turns it purple. Right. Then yeah. sell it as quickly as possible. <laughs> because, man, it turns a weird brownish purple. Yeah, it's kind of it's a, a nice color, brown. but it's not purple yeah. anymore. No. So. <laughs> it's a I, shame. I wish it would stay I, that way. I actually, one of the things that I that sells really well for me, and you know, you're talking about the earrings being cheap, and they are, right? Because they're a little bit of material. One of the things that I sell really well, these things, I call them book things, where they have a hole in them, and they're kind of shaped so that they can hold a book open. You can hold a book open with one hand with your thumb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've seen those. Yeah, and I make them out of walnut. And, you know, I cut them on the bandsaw, drill them on the drill press and sand them and put some simple finish on it. And that's it. And, you know, as far as material wise, they're they're super cheap to make. But when you when you show people, hey, look, this is walnut. Well, it's like, oh, walnut, you know, that's <laughs> you know, it's expensive stuff. And, you know, I could hey. I could sell the walnut ones. So I make 3D printed ones for ten dollars. And I sell the walnut ones for $25. I am sold out of the walnut ones. Oh, sure, yeah. You know, and I have to actually get down to the shop and make some more. So I bought some, I just bought some Bubinga and some Purple Heart. I'm like, hey, if walnut sells, Bubinga and Purple Heart are going to sell great. You, you know it. And, you know, there's just a timeless quality to wood. And I think that everybody knows that. It's almost like we're born kind of knowing that. You know, we see wood in all different forms. And when we see it in a jewelry store, in a furniture store, right. you know when it just it just looks right. Totally. So it's funny because even when the styles change, like oak is kind of out of fashion now. Like, yeah. you don't want to make anything oak. That's what your parents had. You want stuff out of walnut <laughs> and cherry now. But even when it's something like, even something made out of oak, there's still a, a visceral, like, um, almost a nostalgic feel for it where it's like, mm -hmm. I don't care that that's made out of oak. I really like that. Yeah. <laughs> but that's, I, I was wondering about something because, and, you know, this is something that I've always wondered about you. And now that I have you, I can actually ask you. I'm really into desktop fabrication stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I have multiple 3D printers, which again, most mostly gets used for client work now. Right. Um, I have the Glowforge, which mostly gets used for client work. And I am gonna get a small CNC that's gonna let me cut softer metals for making jewelry. I've noticed that you don't have any desktop fabrication stuff connected to what you do. No, it was it would be just again trying to stay focused on my mm -hmm. audience. It would be completely off brand if I were to do that. Is a lot of the audience would just be like, oh, totally. No, well, no. there's that ongoing thing where CNC is not real woodworking. You know that whole thing. Is it something you're just not interested in at all, or is it like, let's say you didn't make YouTube videos with that kind of equipment? Oh, I would love to. I would love to use that, that sort of thing. I mean, I think it gotcha. looks like a, it looks like a ton of fun, and there would be times when. Um, I mean, even just to have a laser cutter, oh my God, that would be fun to have. <laughs> it is. And I've actually, I've thought about doing that and just having it on, you know, not bringing it into the show at all. Right. But then I think, would I really have time to do what anything do with, with it, it when, I'm, when I'm focusing on, on the show? And so, yeah, I mean, having a show called Woodworking for Mere Mortals is a little <laughs> bit of a, a double-edged sword there. <laughs> you know, like, if yeah. I buy something new, people are going to be like, wait a second, how much did you pay for that? And it would so be the equivalent of showing up with a domino and people were like, wait, Steve, what the hell? 
What the hell, Steve? It really is. It's still funny, though, because I'll have some people watch some of my videos where I'm just using just the crappiest tools and people who just aren't familiar with woodworking, they still will jump in there and like, oh, yeah, sure, you could do that with all those hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of tools. <laughs> I'm like, dude, you don't know what You literally have no idea. Tools. You think because they're new, they're expensive, my friend. <laughs> well, that was cool. When you introduced the the uh, Weekend Woodworker course, you know, you, you bought a... I think the old, it was the only Ryobi tool. Of, I'll tell you a funny story, actually. Mm-hmm. But you had all Ryobi tools, and I remember thinking, like, okay, if Steve can do can use Ryobi tools, there's no reason for me to just keep going nuts and not buying tools because I couldn't afford a, a quote, better brand. And, you know, I was all about buying only DeWalt because, hey, I'm not buying Ryobi. I got sucked into it, let's be honest. <laughs> I got sucked right into it. I was like, I'm not buying Ryobi tools. That's gar- No, but you know what? Ryobi tools, you get a lot for your money with Ryobi tools. Oh, sure. And yeah. I owe that to you and, like, Ben Ueda and mm-hmm. Mike Montgomery because Ben and Mike are both sponsored by Ryobi. So right. all their tools are Ryobi. And I'm like, Jesus, if they can use this stuff... What am I doing? I work, I'm in the shop three days a week and they're doing this basically for a living. You know, if it's good enough for them. The one tool you didn't use um, that you replaced with was the rigid table saw that you replaced the Ryobi one. And right, I have yeah. the greatest story about that Ryobi saw. So I didn't have a table saw and the tray was coming up the mm-hmm. from the course. And that's table saw project. It was the first right. table saw project. And I'm, I'm talking to my wife. I'm like, can we go up to Harbor Freight? I want to look at their saw. And she goes, yeah, all right, whatever. We went up to Harbor Freight, and I looked at it. I'm like, I really don't like the way this looks. Mm-hmm. And we went to Home Depot because I knew they had the Ryobi one. And, you know, we're looking at it. And I'm like, I could probably make this work. You know, it's not perfect, but it's not the worst thing ever. And my wife comes over. I swear, it's the funniest thing. She comes <laughs> over, and she pushes the side of it in with her finger. And she goes, she looks at me, she goes, are you kidding me with this thing? Yeah. I was like, no. She goes, no, absolutely not. You're not buying this. She goes, this thing's going to kill you. And yeah. I said, I what? think it's scary. It, 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 it's, it's wobbly and it's like, oh, it's plastic-y. basically, a, it's basically like a circular saw that's upside down and, you know, in yeah, a in a step stool. That's literally yeah. what it looks like. It's like a, yeah. So I told her, I said, but hun, I, you know, everything that we've looked at, we looked at two different ones and they're both kind of garbage. I said, I want the the saw I want is like 600 bucks. She goes, all right, I'm making an executive decision. Buy that saw. <laughs> you got I a said, great, really? Got a woman. She goes, I want you safe and I don't want you cutting anything off that we need. So <laughs> the only way I think that's going to happen is if you just get the damn saw that you want. So get the saw you want. So I did. And oh, I owe her huge for that because I was literally about to spend like 120 bucks on a saw that probably would have hurt me. Yeah, you know, when I first when I came up with the the idea of, of basically setting up a workshop for a thousand dollars, and I thought, first of all, is this even really possible? And then, <laughs> it's and tough. So it, it was tough. <laughs> and my my first idea was to use Ryobi tools because they my experience has always been they're the most affordable tools that deliver pretty good bang for your buck, mm-hmm. and they they work for the most part. And they so do. I, I came up with this list of. Uh, Realby tools. I went out and got the tools, the specific ones, and I put that table saw because it was by far the least expensive one I could find. And I brought that thing home and I tested it for like in five minutes. I'm like, no way am I going to recommend this. <laughs> you to can't give that taking, to a newbie woodworker. It's I, dangerous. The thing is scary as hell. And then the 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 rip fence on it is, is just junk. And so I thought, nah. 
And so then I had to go kind of back to my drawing board and figure out, work things around to figure out how I could make this $1,000 list work and came up with a rigid saw, bought it, tested it out, and it, it works out great. Mm-hmm. And I've had no problems recommending that. But that was really an, an important thing for me to be able to use the tools in the course that I'm recommending. So throughout the Weekend Woodworker course, I'm using all of those tools yeah. that are on that list because I thought, I I don't want to be recommending stuff that just because, I don't want to throw out a list of tools because they're cheap. I want to throw out a list of tools that are affordable that actually get the job done and that, that I can work with myself. But yeah, I'm glad that you know, something is something to be said about not being sponsored by exactly <laughs> like that yeah. but oh man that that there was another uh, weird ryobi tool and it's this uh this little blower it's like a dust blower kind of thing oh the it's shop like, blow the shop blower the 18 volt one <laughs> yeah, yeah i have um, no idea what the hell that thing is actually for like well i don't really even know what that is for either and i thought well, this might be cool i can just kind of blow off the top of my tool of the tools or I don't know. And I, and it has like the weirdest design flaw that you, you set that thing down and the the battery, you would set it down, normal people would set it down on the battery like you would with a drill or something. Mm-hmm. The battery sits on the table. You do that and the whole thing just tips over. <laughs> so there's no way of standing this thing up. And it works fine. The tool works fine. But I was just thinking, how does something go from... <laughs> production through the entire production process and not a single person says you know maybe we should redesign this so that it stands up it's weird because that's you know jimmy deresta talks about this all the time he said a lot of the tool companies have people have people designing tools that don't use tools because it's clear like the second you put something in your hand you go oh the guy that designed this never used this tool you know um, Dremel has a multi-tool at one of those oscillating tools that to this day I bought one a couple of weeks ago I still don't know what the hell it really does I just figured I'm going to have a need for this at some point it's on sale I'll just grab one but Dremel makes one and what did Dremel do that no one else did they took the handle and they tipped it up about 15 degrees from the head All why right. is that good because it makes getting into those tough spaces or getting the blade flat to the floor much easier and no one thought to do that. And it's like, yeah, that's clearly an example of people designing tools that don't really use the tools they design, you know, because that's right. a simple thing that had you use it, you'd be like, man, if this thing was just bent 15 degrees, it would be perfect. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's true. With I mean, there's a lot of things like that with a lot of different tools where you find out after using them for a while, you think, well, there's this one thing that I kind of wish was better. I, I've had this old Porter cable table saw for a long time now. A bunch of guys got it for me back in 2012. Or I something. remember. And I love everything about the saw, but it's just a weird thing is the on off switch for me is just too low. And it's always hard because you're supposed to be able to hit with your knee. Uh-huh. And for me, my knee is like way up too high for this thing. So I have to like, you know, do some squats to get down to <laughs> push that thing off with my knee. So, you know, it's not a kind of, it's not the deal breaker kind of thing, but it's just one of those things where I just wish, gosh, I wish they could have like just put a little bit more thought into this somehow. Yeah. I wish people, I also wish people, you know, you made the distinction between cheap and affordable. I, I kind of wish people understood that distinction a little better, you know, because yeah. I know that like, I know Harp, look, I am a Harbor Freight fan. I'm not mm-hmm. gonna. I'm I'm coming out of the closet here as a Harbor Freight fan. But, yeah, I've got a Harbor Freight band, so I well, that's what I wanted year. to talk to you about because I feel like there's there's um, a range of stuff at Harbor Freight. 
You know, like there's stuff that's, whoa, this is a good deal. And then there's stuff like, oh, that is just not good. Yeah. Like the I bought there, they have a two-in-one pneumatic stapler and nailer. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, this is this is perfect. This is exactly what I need. I don't want to have five tools, you know, two to one tool. Perfect. I hooked it up. I put some brads in it. I was working on a project and wham, every time I drove a nail, the whole head moved forward as if I was driving a staple and <laughs> well, every and there's no adjustment for the tension on it. So it would drive the brad well into the wood and leave a mark as if it drove a staple. And I'm like, <laughs> who the hell thought this was a good idea? Right. And, it, you know, and there's, you know, I could live with it if it's like, oh, user error dummy, you didn't adjust it. There's no adjustment for it. And that's that's what a cheap tool is like you know you you think it's going to do something and you like oh i'm going to get a bargain and no it's not a bargain it's never going to be a bargain yeah and one of the things i like to always stress to people is don't be afraid of buying used tools uh man there are some great deals you can get if you just spend the time we've got like you know garage sales and estate sales around where people or people are just like getting out of the hobby and they've got some tools there and oh my gosh, some of these tools that are maybe 10 years old are super bargains and you're going to get like five times what you will get out of that thing than you can with a similar price, something new. You know? And that's I mean, a great way, you know, one of the most intimidating things, obviously you know this because you have your $1,000 shop list, but one of the most intimidating things about getting into woodworking is Jesus, it's just every five, you know, when you're first starting out and I felt this, I don't feel it so much anymore because I have my shop pretty much established, right? But when you're getting started out, it is really intimidating to walk down the aisle of Home Depot even and just go, oh, the, the, a good saw is going to cost me this number of hundred dollars. And, you know, if I want to drill and driver, that's going to cost me a couple of hundred bucks. And you yeah, start. Yeah, you get sticker shock on it, that. Kind yeah, of stuff. it really just piles up. And even when I was doing the weekend woodworker course, initially, you know, the first couple of weeks was like, oh, I don't have that yet. I didn't have screws in my shop. I yeah. don't even know how I survived. But I was like, wow, screws are expensive. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that's all these other things that kind of come with the. I mean, you can, you know. I, I tell people you can set up the shop for a thousand dollars, but beware, there's going to be other costs. Consumables and, cost money, <laughs> right? And you, glue and is expensive. Glue and sandpaper and screws and oh and, my god, um, the lumber. You know, if you're going to be building stuff out of brand new lumber, you're going to pay some bucks for that. There's yeah. even ways around that. But it's for a beginning woodworker. I always kind of say, no, nah, you're probably better off just buying brand new lumber. Yeah, just like even so a good example of that I had a friend who I made some um, floating shelves for. And I was like, oh, OK, no problem. You know, I'll get the hardware for them and we'll drill some holes. They'll go nice and fast. And, you know, the hardware is one hundred and seventy five dollars and then we'll do it in walnut. And that's going to be a couple of hundred bucks. And she looked at me and she's like, are you kidding me? I'm like, what? That's too. She goes, no, I did. Dude, no way. I can't afford that. I was like, okay, change of plans. So I did them out of <laughs> basically construction grade fur from Home Depot, mm-hmm. and I did. I made the hardware. I used um, DIY Creators. Glenn had this great method for making hidden shelf hardware, mm. and it worked out perfectly. And I think the entire material cost for three thirty-inch long shelves was. I think the material cost was somewhere around fifty or sixty bucks. And that was it. You know, it was just a little bit, a little bit more in, you know, consumables. You know, I had to buy stain and I had to buy dowels and the the stuff to attach it to a wall and all that. 
ended up she ended up getting all three shelves for 150 bucks Mm-hmm. which I was looking at hardware that was 175, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you, you start thinking when you start building these projects, you're going to just, Oh yeah, this is what we're going to do. And to, to someone like you or me, I'm like, okay, that's what it's going to cost. But to someone who's trying to buy them, it's like, yeah, dude, I can't afford that. You know, you can't, you can't come back to me with a $300 quote for three shelves. It's just not in my world. And that's when you right. have to start getting really, really creative. Cause yeah, everything costs money. That, plank of walnut could cost you two hundred dollars by itself sure and i that's one thing i've been really lucky with is i've been able to make a lot of the stuff people don't really care so much about though i have one project coming up someone wants a a classic toy box Mm -hmm. and it's going to be walnut and you know nice piano hinges with the slow closing struts and you know a that's gonna, pretty important for a toy box, I think. Yeah, you, yeah, especially when the, the lid is walnut yeah. and they, you know, little fingers under walnut lids, not a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that's going to be a very expensive project, but the person who it's for already knows it's going to be an expensive project. And she's not only prepared for it, she's like, yes, I want it. I want this to be heirloom quality. I'm right. like, okay, there's a whole new realm of pressure on me. Yeah. <laughs> you do realize I just started woodworking two years ago, well, right? You know, you know that's, the, that's the other thing, though. No matter what you do, she's going to be amazed by it because yeah. most people don't have a frame of reference of, of really what real custom woodworking projects look like. And no. so they're going to be kind of blown away by what you make. And I, I see this all the time when woodworkers... I've talked about this before, especially know brand new woodworkers. Say. They love to point out their yes. mistakes. And it's yes. like, stop, just stop, stop Steve, doing that. If it wasn't for you <laughs> saying that, I do that. And I swear to you, I literally sit there and I go, no, Steve says, don't do this. Don't do that. Like when I made the Harmony Garden Bench, which I gave my mom for Christmas the year I made it, she freaked out. She thought it was the most beautiful thing she'd ever seen, right? There's a massive flaw in it. And every time I look at it, literally all I see is the flaw. One of the boards, when I was gluing it, slid. And I didn't know it slid until the glue dried. And there's one of the the cross beams is about a half inch deep, not flush. And I couldn't flush it up because I would have had to cut, I would have had to sand off so much material. So I just, I left it and I turned it the other way. It gives it that character, you know. And. All I wanted to do, and I had to bite my tongue like four different times from telling my mom, yeah, it's really good except for this one thing. No, it's right. good. Shut up. <laughs> it's great, yeah. <laughs> this is custom, man. This is good stuff. <laughs> I swear, of all the things you've taught me over the years, I feel like that was the most valuable thing. It's like, don't introduce your projects to someone by explaining away all the flaws that you have. Because if you right. don't point them out, they literally, no one will notice yeah, be proud of what you make. I think there's, there's an odd psychology involved in that. And it, it, it goes, I mean, let's go back to our childhood in some way. <laughs> we're, we're, not, we're not supposed to be really proud of what we do. And we, I don't know why we, we like to point out mistakes like because that. Because false but humility is almost rewarded now. It kind of is, yeah. And I think that if you just, people, if you give somebody a woodworking project, it's probably one of the few handmade woodworking projects they've ever gotten in oh, their hell life. Yeah. It may be the only one. Yeah, as I was going to say, it's probably the only one they've ever gotten. Life. The only response it deserves is that you're welcome when they thank you because <laughs> there's a lot of work that went into that. And I think just to see them smile on their face and how much they enjoy those projects is, is really good. I always thought, you know, cutting boards are a great example of this, right? So I always thought cutting boards were just someone cut a piece of wood and put it, and you had a cutting board. No, (laughs) it doesn't work that way. There's glue up, there's planing, there's routing. There's a lot involved in a damn cutting board. 
And yeah. until you start woodworking, you don't really appreciate how much, you know, someone would look at it and go, this is a beautiful cutting board. And I look at a cutting board and I go, holy crap, how'd they get that pattern? Well, right, you cut exactly. that and you turn that that way and shift it and turn that that. I mean, I'm amazed at the cutting boards. I can, there was a guy, I think you've probably seen him on, he's a Russian guy on YouTube called, I think yeah, it's called it's MTM a, he, Wood. Yeah, he makes all kinds oh of cutting boards. It's like his thing. It's his, his thing. Boards. He makes cutting yeah. boards. And I sat there, it was a snow day. It was, a, it was perfect to watch on a snow day. <laughs> and I just sat there on the couch for probably about five hours just going through his catalog, just like, <laughs> Jesus cutting Christ. boards. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that's, it's important too for anybody who cooks to have a proper cutting board. Yeah. And if any chef will tell you that that end grain cutting board is the one to, to seek, yep. that's the one you, you want. And those are very expensive and very time consuming to make. And mm -hmm. it takes a, a lot of a lot of lumber to make one of those. I, I made one not uh, a few years ago and i've made a couple of those ingrained cutting boards and every time i make one i start adding up how much wood is involved and it's just amazing <laughs> it's like holy crap i've got to buy an eight foot board and i gotta get all this just for this little cutting board because it's all those little pieces you start realizing it when you're when you're taking that you know that eight that eight foot long and four inch wide board and you're ripping it down to strips yeah. and you're like i gotta rip this board four times and and that's not all of it. Like that's not all the wood that's going to go into this. Like that's that's just the first step. Now you got to take it over to your miter saw or cross cut sled if you're insane, and yeah. start cutting that down. And then <laughs> oh now you got to glue up thirty five pieces. <laughs> it's like it's a lot of gluing. Yeah, I'm making one. I don't want to. I don't know. Well, this will be after I give it to her. But I'm making one for my sister for her birthday. And it's out of maple and purple heart. It's not end grain because I'm just not at that level yet to start making end grain cutting boards. But I made this, this. It's beautiful. It came out so good. But making the cuts just to get the strips to glue together. And then you sit there and like, oh, good. They're all cut. No, wait. I got to glue all these together now. No. <laughs> Gluing and clamping. Oh, and clamping. Sanding. And, and, oh, yeah, wow. the sanding. That's going to be tomorrow's project is <laughs> all the sanding and the routing and rounding over and taking the corners off so that they're nice and round and putting feet on and putting it in the laser so it has my logo on the bottom because I'm a total whore. And but don't we just love all of it, though? <laughs> Every minute of it. Like, yeah. I, you know, I still do. Yeah, I, I've been woodworking for 40 years, and it never gets old. It's always no. challenging. Every project I make, and getting back to the don't show off your mistakes. Every project I make has mistakes in it to this day. I've never made a project that didn't have a flaw in some way in some form that was maybe a minor flaw, maybe some piece of wood had a little dent in it that I really wish I had dealt with, but mm -hmm. I didn't. And, but that's really what I like most about woodworking is it always keeps me on my toes and every project is going to be brand new and challenging. The first, so I had surgery at the beginning of March. And so for like five or six weeks afterwards, I couldn't even go down the stairs to get to my basement. And that first day, that I was back in the shop was the most emotional thing ever. Like I was yeah. just so happy to be down in the shop. And even though I was only able to stand upright for about a half hour, yeah. it was just the most, like I, I've told people this story a few times, but I don't think people realize when you have that compulsion to make something and to build stuff and it gets taken away from you, even if it's only temporarily, your brain just goes into just a funk 
And, you know, I tried to pass the time. Like I always had my iPad on my, you know, on my lap and I was sketching stuff that I wanted to make, but it's not the same. You know, you just want to be down in your shop. And for a lot of us, and I'm, I'm pretty sure this describes you also, the shop is a happy place. It is. It's a, and it's a visceral experience to walk into my shop because I smell lumber. I smell the pine. I could, uh, I've got a great window that faces east. And so I like to come out in my shop early in the morning, a cup of coffee, and just sit and kind of think about what I want to do, what I have planned for the day. It's just a beautiful place. I've got the garage door open, and you know, there's just so much about it that even beyond just making things, just being in the shop, is it's a pleasant place to be. So um, as we're coming up on what I promised you would be the amount of time I would keep you, I wanted to ask you, because I like to ask people this question, what is what does satisfaction mean for you? What represents satisfaction and fulfillment for Steve Ramsey? Oh, that's easy. For me, at least at this point in my career, is just passing it on to other people. I find more satisfaction in seeing people who have built things based on my instructions, based on my projects or plans. And I like that. I like it more than inspiring people. I it's inspiration is one thing but without action it it feels a little empty and so i I, just to be able to see and especially with these woodworking courses it it sort of like rejuvenated my spirit over the past 10 years how youtube will eventually kind of just beat you down (laughs) (laughs) i'm probably exaggerating no you're not (laughs) but but to uh to just be able to have those available to a highly motivated audience of people who really want to learn has been probably the most satisfying experience of my career that is You have given, I'm, there are few people who have given as much to the community for free as you have. And in fact, I'm not going to lie to you. One of the reasons I took your course was because that was how I felt like, even if I don't do a thing with this course, just the the ability to kind of give back to you for all you've given to us as learning and woodwork. I had, I don't know how much I intended to do with that course. Mm-hmm. I took it. I enjoyed the hell out of it. And yes, I know I didn't finish it. I keep saying that, but it's, I didn't finish it for, for a reason. And the reason is that you taught me so much that I was able to parlay it into something so much bigger than I ever intended it to be when I started the course. And, yeah, and that's what I, I hope people can get out of it and understand that a woodworking course doesn't have to be about making those particular projects, but as long as you can start to learn those basic concepts and actually seeing somebody doing it in real time, you know, actually here's how you set up the saw, here's what you need to do, here's how to cut a correct miter, all of these things, it can be really beneficial to use in whatever you pursue. I just want to tell you that one of the things I learned from the course when I made this cutting board I just made, using a sacrificial fence on the miter, Oh, right. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. that Game made changer. it go so much faster. And I was like, oh, my God, I don't want to set this whole thing up. But then I'm like, yeah, but if you set it up, take the extra minute or two, but set it up. And then the next cuts you're going to make are going to take one third the time. Boom. And yep. I went through, you know, whatever it was, 15, 20 cuts. At the, they're all identical boards. It, I had to trim the kerf of my blade on the end of that cutting board because the cuts were so exact. And I was like, damn it, Steve, this is great. Like all the stuff that I picked up 
um, from the course. Like I never really understood the relationship. Like why do you glue and screw things? Well, mm -hmm. you screw them so you can keep going, but you're gluing them because that's what's actually holding everything together. Right. Oh, yeah. okay, I get it. <laughs> you know, why do you use a strap clamp? Why, all the stuff you taught, man. I, I wish, I wish that I could give you back one half of what you've given me over the years. And I, <sighs> you know, I'm sure I'm speaking for a lot of people. I am yeah. eternally grateful for what you've opened up well, and what you've uncorked in me. So, well, thank you for that. I appreciate it. Um, is there aside from? I'm I'm obviously going to link all your stuff in the show mm -hmm. notes. Is there any place else? Any other links outside of your YouTube channel and your website that you'd like to have people go to? No, check out the videos. Go over, head over to theweekendwoodworker.com if you want to. Uh, check out our courses we've got two courses on there right now we have a third course coming up this fall which is going to be about setting up a workshop oh, you know <laughs> that you'd be surprised by the way how much you need to build when you start yeah. your shop your <laughs> yeah. first projects are almost always shop furniture yeah. Because oh, you... and it's it's fun because right now I'm kind of like disassembling my shop so that I can kind of rebuild parts of it for this uh, course. And it's really fun because I finally get a chance to do some of the things I've been wanting to do for <laughs> a long time. So, yeah, you'll have to have me back on again when we, oh. we do that. We could talk about the shops because there's so many cool things you could do with a, a shop. And especially if you're starting, just starting out, that you can save yourself a lot of hassle in the future. I would I would be honored to have you back on and from your mouth to God's ears I hope if this podcast is still around when your next course is ready yeah. you <laughs> let me know hey it's coming a challenge out soon. now you, <laughs> you got to keep it going you know it's we're in episode we're recording as we're doing this now this is going to be episode 7 Good so, for you. That's and, a commitment. You yeah. It's hard. It yeah. is tough. There's I've, a lot of podcasts out there. It's hard to keep that schedule going. It's almost like once you get to, well, it's funny because I did, I recorded Friday and I record, usually I record Monday or Tuesday and release on Wednesday. I recorded last Friday. I'm recording tonight. I'm recording tomorrow to get three episodes ahead. Just you so. monster. Yeah, I'm crushing it. <laughs> I just, I, you know, it's just something I felt like needed to be done because I feel like we see you guys on YouTube and we see you as makers, but I like talking to people as people. I don't like to do I like Q the, and a. I like the, I almost, I was just going to say that. I like the conversational nature of this podcast. I think it was a lot of fun because I've done plenty of podcasts before and a lot of times it, it boils down to, <laughs> sometimes they'll even email me a set of questions no. that they're going to be asking and here's oh, one. So it's kind of like, oh, please. And it's usually the same questions. Like, what's my favorite tool? What's my favorite? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know anything about tools. I, I pride myself on knowing the catalog of the people I'm having on well enough where <laughs> I can converse with them about what they do rather than me saying, I want to know this. I want to know, I don't need to know what I want to know. I want to know yeah. what you are, what makes you tick. That to me is much more interesting than, oh, do you prefer Ryobi, Rigid? or Nobody cares about that. We know that already. That's... You know, who is Steve Ramsey is a lot more is going to be a lot more interesting to people than what kind of circular saw does Steve Ramsey think you should buy? Yeah, really. well, I think you're, I think you're doing a great job at it. And Thank I, you. I wish you all the luck in the future with it. I really uh, it's a big undertaking. I think you're doing a great job. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it so much. Um, that's going to do it for this week, everybody. Um, you can check out the podcast if this has been shared to you and you haven't already subscribed. You can check it out at becausewemake.com. In there, you can find a link to leave a voice message for the show. If you like what we're doing here and you want to support it, and no pressure. I'd rather you shared the show than donate to it. 
uh, we will be back next week. And when we do come back, we are going to have another great guest, I promise. Talk to you then. Have a good week, everybody. Thank you.